Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris. Today our passage comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 8 through 11. This is prepping us for Sunday as Chris is going to be talking about Jesus' mission. And we get a lot of mission uh, statements, I guess you could say, from the book of Isaiah as they are applied to Jesus in his role in his incarnational form. So let's go ahead and read our scripture, and then we'll get into it. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them the recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Starting in chapter 56, okay? Um, some people, well, let's, let's back up a little bit. Some people find it helpful to break Isaiah up into different books. That's not necessarily um, required for a good reading. Uh, J. Alec Motyer is the, the guy who um, wrote the commentary that I really, really like. Uh, for the book of Isaiah. And he kind of argues that you don't have to break this up into the five books like most biblical scholars do. Um, Most of the time those are biblical critics, not necessarily theologians or Christians, just people who like to analyze the text and break things up. Anyway, (laughs) uh, Montier says you don't have to do that. It it actually kind of maybe messes it up, but in this case it, it kind of works. This last book is uh, chapters 55 through 56. And starting in chapter 56, going through chapter 66, the whole last part of the book, you pretty much have the gospel told from the perspective of someone who lives under the Mosaic Covenant. So in chapter 56, we have a lot of mentioning of those who are outside of God's people and that they're being invited to join God's covenant people. Okay, that's that's gospel message right there. However, you get into 57, 58, Yahweh informs his people that there is still sin and rebellion within their people, within their ranks. And so into chapter 59, because his people are unable to live up to his righteous standard, um, it doesn't make sense to bring people into a group of people who aren't living righteously, right? So something needs to be done here. Uh, because his people are unable to live up to his righteous standard, he's going to come in. And this is in chapter 59, verses 6, 15 through 16. And do what no one else is able to do by taking vengeance on those who have not lived by truth, and who specifically not live, who have not lived by truth, and who have not shunned evil. Okay, those are not one and the same thing. Someone can live by truth and not shun the evil that is around them. Someone can be really good at shunning evil around them and not living by truth, which involves love and peace and patience and those qualities of the Spirit. They're not one and the same thing. 
there is a a positive aspect to Christianity, to, to being God's people, and there is a negative aspect. I don't mean that as in good or bad, but the way we are to respond within ourselves and to what's around us positively, we live by truth. Negatively, we shun out evil. Since God's people are not able to do this, this task falls to his anointed one. The remaining chapters, verse, chapter 63 through 64, uh, are, are a prayer, and chapter 65 through 66 is a response to that prayer. So the big question is, you know, this is the big question for the Jews, is who is this anointed one? Who is going to be God's person? And, uh, you know, some people did believe that was Jesus, but believed it from a much more uh, materialistic perspective. Uh, point of view. Jesus is going to be a real-time Jewish conqueror, destroy the Rome, Romans, get them out of Zion. Um, but he can't be someone actually from Zion. He cannot be from God's people per se because he is the one that's being sent to comfort them. That's in chapter 59. There, there is some sort of differentiation between, look, the, the, the person that's going to be the anointed one, the Savior, the Messiah, is not actually particularly from your ranks in that sense. There is some sort of divineness attributed to him. He's not full human. And, and so there's hints towards this. And, and that's when we get into our section here. Uh, the anointed one has already come on the scene at the beginning of chapter 61, and Chris covered those yesterday, those first couple of verses. So our section today is the last couple of verses, verses 8 through 11. So let's break down. I've already read them, so I won't go back to reiterate. So maybe um, if you got your Bible with you or something, you can go back. In verse 8, we have this phrase that the Lord loves justice, and that I fear is often looked over in a lot of circles, and especially in today's time, there's a reaction almost, a negative reaction when people start talking about social justice. Um, and I, I understand the, the cultural context of that, but it doesn't take away from its biblical truth uh, to the weightiness that God places on doing justice around you. And the Lord loves justice. I recently had to read a book for school and uh, it started out pretty lame, but it ended up having some really good stuff in it. It's by Kelly M. Capick. Uh, it's called A Little Book for New Theologians. And in it, he has a chapter on uh, the suffering justice and knowing God, how all of those are the same thing, that when you participate in justice and when you um, empathize with those who are suffering, you come to know God in a, in a better way. And vice versa, you can't really know God without doing those things. Uh, I have a couple of quotes that I'd like to share with you. One that I really liked was, Knowing God leads to love, loving those who he loves. Knowing God leads us to love those who he loves. Another one was, Theology without compassion or action is no theology at all. That's, that's a good one, but this is the one that's going to punch you in the gut. Neglect of love for our neighbor confines theology to a pursuit of personal peace, self-improvement, and detached spirituality. God equates this with adultery. Yikes. If our theology does not have love for our neighbor in it, it's adultery. It's all about us. It's all about us getting better and us coming to deeper knowledge uh, 
but actually not using any of that grace and peace we've come to uh, to give to the people who need it, who lack it, who don't even know about it. Verse 9 is kind of the pinnacle verse of what the anointed one is is talking about, what he's come to do, and part of what he's come to do is to make the offspring known among the nations. Isaiah here is speaking of a time from the point of the anointed one when God's people will be one nation. If that's not like a direct tie to 1 Peter 2, 9-10, through that God's people are now a holy nation, one nation, uh, I don't know what is. I think that's a direct, I think Peter is definitely pulling on Isaiah here. He's speaking of, Isaiah is speaking of the church today. This is the anointed one in, in 61 and verse 9. He's speaking of the church. We should be known among the people. Those who see us shall acknowledge him because we are an offspring the Lord has blessed. So if that's not true in your life, I think Isaiah would have a bone to pick with you. In verse 10, there's great cause for rejoicing because of all of this. Um, and, and specifically, verses 10 through 11 are, are the rejoicing and why we can, why the anointed one is rejoicing, not, not us. See, I'm falling into this, this, this pitfall here where we'll read verses like this where it's kind of a first person and we'll immediately attribute it to ourselves. You know, they'll become a theme verse for us because they, they sound so joyous and happy and, and, and powerful. But these verses aren't us. This is, this is the anointed one speaking about his role, about what God is doing through him. So we read these verses in reverence and humility and submission, knowing that these don't actually apply to us. This is not me rejoicing. This is Christ. This is the anointed one. This is the Messiah rejoicing. So why is he rejoicing? For one, at the latter part of verse 10, it's he's rejoicing because the Lord has clothed him with salvation and righteousness. That righteousness directed towards God because God is placing things in right order. That salvation directed towards God's people. Those are the ones who need the salvation. So the Lord is, is dressing the anointed one. And, and these are causes that the Lord had picked up in verse in chapter 59 when he said, hey, the people aren't capable of righteousness. The people aren't capable of saving themselves for what they've come to, so I will dress myself in these things. Well, then you come to chapter 61, and now he's dressing the anointed one with the salvation and righteousness that he originally picked up. So the anointed one's rejoicing. Look, the Lord took on these things. Now he's giving them to me to exercise, to have authority with. We have the, the imagery of the bridegroom and the groom, uh, and that's definitely some covenantal language. You know, this is the, the marriage that we've entered into with God. And verse, uh, chapter, or, sorry, verse 11 here is really good too. You have a lot of this in the Psalms, this kind of imagery with earth and the garden and, and the beauty and, ha- and how that ties directly to, has a direct correlation with the growth that only God can give. Paul kind of uses this imagery, doesn't kind of, he uses this imagery in 1 Corinthians. Uh, you know, we may plant seeds, but God gives growth. We, we can't take credit for any spiritual growth in us or in someone else. We can work towards those things. We can place ourselves in, in, the, in the posture 
of receiving those things, but we cannot get those things on our own. Those things only come by God. So listen to verse 11 again. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as the garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. To sprout up before all the nations goes back to verse 9. What is in front of all the nations? Me and you. God's people. We're in front of the nations. So what he is causing to sprout up is us, is our spirit spiritual growth, our well-being, our maturity, those are all things that only come from God. There are so many good things in in these couple of verses, and I, I really commend uh, J. Alec Motyer, again, the commentary that um, I got a lot of these thoughts from today. Uh, that's a really good commentary. Uh, it might be a little analytical. You know, it's going to give structural outlines. It's, it's going to deal with the literary aspects a lot, but there's also just some really good theology in it, too. So if you get a commentary on Isaiah, that's the one that I, I promote here. So we have talks of justice. We have talks of the anointed one taking on his responsibility, his duty, his authority of salvation and righteousness. And we have God causing righteousness within us. It's nothing that we do. It all comes from God, and that's why we praise him. I hope you're looking for ways to love and serve your neighbor in genuine and sincere ways. Peace and love.